The Southern Food and Beverage Museum begins its 20th anniversary year today. All during 2024, we'll be celebrating what we have accomplished. And I usually have a guest to talk about various issues, but today I'm going to talk about SOFAB, how we got here, where we are going. It's on tip of the tongue. Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. Today, you get me, Liz Williams, talking about 20 years of SOFAB, our plans for celebrating this year, and what the next 20 years will bring. After the paperwork, the corporation, the application to the IRS for tax-exempt status, etc., we began institution building. This all started in 2004. We had decided to do this thing, create a food and drink museum, before we could have a permanent location. So we began with a website, And even in 2004, a website gave you a presence. It meant you were real. Then we began creating pop-ups, since no one actually knew what a food museum or a food and drink museum might be. Our first pop-up, created by Elizabeth Pierce of Drink and Learn in New Orleans, was called Toast of New Orleans. That exhibit opened in the New Orleans Center in 2004. Later, it reopened at the Louisiana State Museum shortly after Hurricane Katrina. In 2005, we opened our second pop-up. This was in the public spaces of the Riverwalk Marketplace. It was called Toot Sweet all about sugar. That exhibit was open only a few weeks before Hurricane Katrina devastated the city in 2005. We lost all of that exhibit, and fortunately it did not contain any artifacts. We reopened this exhibit with many more artifacts in 2009 to celebrate the playing of the Sugar Bowl. We also created a one-day pop-up that was called Restaurant Restorative. The pop-up honored the role of chefs and restaurants of the city of New Orleans who helped bring it back to operation. This exhibit opened in New York City at the James Beard Foundation Awards. This was in 2006. The James Beard Foundation gave a collective humanitarian award to the chefs of New Orleans in 2006 to honor their work in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. The chefs not only 
fed first responders and those people who were remained in the city, but also when the city was finally drained and it was possible for everyone to come back, it was the chefs who often opened their restaurants even before they restored their houses. And it allowed people to come back and have a place to eat and eat together. They were able to eat the food of New Orleans. It was a very special time. The Southern Food and Beverage Museum opened officially in June of 2008 in the Riverwalk Marketplace Mall. This is a linear mall along the Mississippi River. It's the same place where we had our Too Sweet All About Sugar exhibit that was lost during Hurricane Katrina. After we opened there, and we were there for five years, we knew that we had found an untapped niche of interest in food. We were gifted with artifacts which helped us expand the depth of our exhibits. People would leave them on my front porch without even a note. I just would go outside to get the newspaper and there would be some artifact that somebody left just so that we would have another artifact for our exhibits. It was incredibly exciting and it really let us know how much we really were filling a void that existed in the city. After we opened there, and we were there for five years, we knew that we had found this niche. We knew by that time that there was really an interest in the food and drink history of the city and the state and the region. So what did we do? We began teaching classes. We were having demonstrations. We began to develop relationships with the chefs of the city. We began having a summer camp, and we had special children's programs on the weekends. We held symposia, and we began planning for a permanent home. We knew that we could only stay in the Riverwalk for five years. In the economics of the city, 2008 was not that long after Hurricane Katrina. When you have so much devastation, it takes years to recover because mucking out and rebuilding simply takes a long time. And during that time, we knew that this five-year period from 2008 till the end of 2012 would mean that we would have a, a time to sink down roots and have a place where we could have exhibits and grow and learn what we needed to be. At the same time, we wouldn't be there forever. So we always had one look or one eye looking over our shoulders, trying to find the next place for us to land. It was during this Riverwalk period that we began a relationship with the Museum of the American Cocktail. What a wonderful relationship that was, and still is. We still have members of the Museum of the American Cocktail on the board of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. 
or really the National Food and Beverage Foundation, which is the name of our overarching corporation. Today, we still have in our new location at the Old Dryads Market, we have an entire wall which is dedicated to the Museum of the American Cocktail. While we were at the Riverwalk, we identified the old Dryads Market in New Orleans as a possible new home. And we began to look into it as a serious place for us to land. It was in an area of the city that had been identified as one that the city was planning to invest in, in terms of street infrastructure and sidewalk infrastructure. And it was not far from public transportation of different kinds. On the corner where the museum is today, there is a bus stop and three blocks away from St. Charles Avenue, we have a streetcar stop. So it's possible for a person who takes the streetcar from the French Quarter or from any other part of the city to get off three blocks from us and simply walk to where we are. That means that people don't necessarily have to transfer to a bus, which sometimes is complicated in a city where you don't know where you are. So... We identified the old Dryads Market as a possible new home, and we wound up buying it and renovating it, and we received a preservation award for that renovation, and then we moved in. So we moved in in 2014, and that was after a short period when we were not open most everything was in storage, and we continued to have weekly programming in the French market in New Orleans so that we could keep our identity going. So moving to the Old Dryads Market, which of course became the Southern Food and Beverage Museum, we wound up having a renovation that gave us two kitchens, one is a demonstration kitchen that is outfitted with home appliances, which make it possible for us to do demonstrations on the kind of appliances and with the type of equipment that most people have in their homes. The other kitchen is a commercial kitchen, and it was built with the intention of having a restaurant in the museum, but we had two different restaurants and we finally decided that we needed the space and would be able to use the restaurant kitchen in ways that were more innovative than just having a restaurant. And so now we have incorporated that commercial restaurant kitchen into our entrepreneurship program and it has been certified as a commissary kitchen. So these two kitchens eventually allowed us to do other things too. For example, in the back, behind our, our demonstration kitchen, we have a garden, which we call our gumbo garden. 
This is an area that has a covered space where you can sit and have meals um, or a party, a crawfish boil, a fish fry, all kinds of fun things can happen there. But we also have raised beds that bring more of the educational aspect of the museum to the outside because there you can see the three major continents that influence the food of the South, Europe, Africa, and America. And those places um, are planted appropriately for the foods, the food plants that they bring. We do this every season so that the plants are always in a different state. Sometimes they're just seedling, sometimes they're going to seed. But it does teach people who've never seen okra, who've never seen chicory. They've heard of coffee and chicory, but they've never seen the chicory. All of those things become possible for people to learn about in our garden. A second important part of the museum, of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum, was to provide a collection that was preserved, a collection of artifacts and other evidence of the culture of food and drink. This meant that soon after Hurricane Katrina, we had a library of about 2,000 books as well as a growing collection of menus, of pamphlets, of photographs, and other ephemera. Now we have a growing research center in partnership with Nunez Community College in Chalmette, Louisiana. We have tens of thousands of books, archival material, and other ephemera, as well as many, many artifacts. We have been fortunate enough to have journalists visit the research center during their own research, as well as scholars and culinary students, chefs, and interested citizens. So this museum now has a research center, which is always being visited by somebody who needs to find culinary books. We have culinary books of many, many centuries, and we also have books in multiple languages because we believe that it's very important because the South is made of many immigrants, that we have books about other parts of the country because many people have moved to the South as well as people leaving the South and going to those areas of the country, but also we need books from all over the world because we have people from all over the world living in the South and their descendants, obviously. It's really important, too, that we have those books written in the language of the country from the point of view of the country and not always written by Americans who are making observations about that place. We've also been able to sponsor lectures and classes at the Research Center. Like SOFAB, the Research Center will continue to grow, deepening the intellectual overlay about food and drink as the city continues to provide its unique cuisine to visitors and residents. 
The future, of course, is partly unknown, and we will discover it together. But these are certain things that you can expect. One, more books and classes and lectures at the Research Center. That's kind of exciting because people are asking for them. Also, we expect to be able to provide more exciting and provocative exhibits at the museum. Also something that we are excited about. And the continued growth of some of our other projects. For example, Nitty Grits Media. From expanding podcasts and our curated podcast list, but to exhibit catalogs and books, we're having um, really a fun time putting together Nitty Grits Media. Pretty soon you'll be able to see some uh, special one subject and limited series podcasts that are there and Uh, We are hoping that eventually we will also have video there for you to see, too. The growth of the National Culinary Heritage Register is something that we are putting a lot of effort into. Our database of places that are 50 years or or, or more, these are places that have influenced the food and drink of America. We believe that having this database is something that in the future, people will come to look at, to find out about places all over the country. Most of the time, people are self-identified. Oh, we've had this distillery for 55 years. Well, if you aren't there in that part of the country, you may not know that that distillery exists. But now we're, as we're putting together our searchable database, with different categories of things, for example, distilleries, breweries, grocery stores, farms, restaurants, bars, all sorts of different things, chocolate factories, places where um, dishware is manufactured. It's a very, very broad group of things, but all of them have influenced the food and drink of America. The expansion of our children's programs in partnership with the Hattie May and Friends Foundation is something that we look forward to in 2024. And pretty soon we'll have an entire podcast to let you know about that, because those plans are very big. The expansion of our Culinary Heritage Sign Gallery is beginning in January, with the unveiling of the Mackenzie sign, as well as the lighting of the Piggly Wiggly sign. These things are really important as the older signs are becoming more fragile and sometimes can't continue their lives outside anymore. We don't want to lose this part of America. You know, America had the most interesting signage because we had such a car culture and we actually have the volume to have those signs in the museum and we're very fortunate in that and we are hoping to take advantage of that by having a really robust collection of signs. And there will be a year of events in 2024 
to celebrate 20 years and to look ahead to the next 20 years. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can get in touch with me through the museum. Our info at southernfood.org is the best way to reach anybody in any of these categories. Just say what you're interested in and somebody will be in touch with you. Please come to the museum, visit us, come visit us at the Research Center. These are important things to us for you to actually come and physically visit us. I want to thank you for your interest and support. If you would like to make a monetary donation, of course, that is something that is always, always appreciated. But we also appreciate anything that you have, even if you have a collection of of takeout menus in a drawer and you're ready to throw them out because they're out of date. Stick them in an envelope and mail them to us because to us they are treasures and it will be a way to be able to identify in given years what people were getting over the telephone as they ordered their takeout food. Please join us on our journey and help us do this good work. It's something that we look forward to doing every day And we look forward also to sharing it with you. Thanks so much for listening to me just babble on today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue, a part of the Nitty Grits Network of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. Subscribe to this and other food and drink related podcasts at southernfood.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to keep up with me, Liz Williams, you can subscribe to my Substack newsletter, also called Tip of the Tongue, for more information about this podcast, recipes, and just what is going on. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening.